Turn with me to the book of Exodus. Chapter 33. And verse 7. Sometime in the near future, I'm going to be taking some time to slow down and teach some things that a lot of us have heard of, or and we've been around it because we've been around the church, but I want to take some time and dive deeper into some things. Let me just ask you this. We'll just give you a little preview tonight. How many have ever heard the word? I'm not even going to pronounce it right. Glossalia or glossolial. A lot of us have. What about eschatology? Eschatology. Brother Craig, what is eschatology? study of the end time we're going to talk about that not tonight but in the near future and uh, I'm not talking about it tonight because I, I want it to be complete and uh, so just be tuned in and ready for whatever the Lord wants to do Because when we, when we read where Paul said, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you, the word that's used there is apologia. So we get the word apologetics, which means to defend. Believe it or not, God did not just save us so we can just come in and occupy space. I'm already in deeper than I was going to be tonight, but there's also something called the apostolic mandate that applies to every one of us, and we'll talk about that in the future. But I believe God wants to use us to reach our world. And it's, it's not just... A passing casual belief but it is doctrine that means it's not man's opinion it is God's word Jesus name Exodus chapter 33 verse 7 says and Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp far off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation and it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. It came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up, stood every man at his tent door, and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar 
descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face. As a man speaketh with his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. I'm going to preach tonight with the Lord's help. The cloud that never lifted. The cloud that never lifted. Let's put our Bibles down tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and I, I thank you, God, for this, this great, great church that you have built in this city. God, I thank you for all that are here. And God, I thank you for those who are not yet here but are on their way. God, I thank you for those who you plan to reach. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight to get a greater understanding, a greater revelation of who we are, who we are to you, who we are to the church, who we are to ourselves, and who you desire us to be to the world. God, I pray that you would move in this place in a mighty way, God, that you would confirm your word tonight with a mighty outpouring of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Why don't we clap our hands tonight? Why don't we just go ahead and give God praise? God, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. Cloud that never lifted. We understand tonight that the children of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt for just over 400 years. That God, even though God had told Abraham that his people, his seed, his family would be enslaved, I don't believe it was God's perfect will for them to be enslaved. In fact, at a later date, we'll study dispensations of time and we'll find that the dispensation of promise ends when Israel is enslaved. That God allowed it because the patriarchs of Abraham's family were progressively getting further away from their relationship with God. What had started out so strongly with Abraham and continued fairly strongly with Isaac. And then we see Jacob come in and, and it's almost as if Jacob propels his relationship with God further than even Isaac's relationship had been because it's with Jacob that we find him wrestling there. His name is changed and his walk is changed, but then his sons come along and their relationship with God is found lacking. And so they're enslaved in the land of Egypt. God raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses who leads them out of the land of Egypt after many miracles and signs and wonders and plagues and 
so on and so forth, and they have crossed the Red Sea. Moses has stretched his rod out at the command of God. God has divided the water. They walked across on dry ground. Many miracles take place in just that section of Scripture. And now we have found them in the wilderness of Sinai. Moses has walked up or hiked or climbed up into Mount Sinai. He has taken Joshua, his servant, so far, and then Moses has gone on. And they've been in Mount Sinai for many days, and when they are coming down, Moses is, is carrying the law of God, the two tables of stone. And as they come down, the, and he meets with Joshua, and they're, they're descending the mountain, they begin to hear. And Joshua's asking, what, what is that that we hear in? Sounds like war. Sounds like worship. And it sounds abnormal. They come down the mountain and there they find the host of the Israelites literally dancing naked, physically uncovered in front of a golden calf. And the scriptures that follow are quite detailed in the the, the pronouncing of judgment. And it is at this point that God tells Moses that the Israelites are just a stiff-necked people. We'll get back to it when we talk about dispensations, but God makes a statement to Moses, and he said, just like I started with Abraham as a single man and created from Abraham a family, I can use you because you're from that family, and I'll still be keeping my word to Abraham, but I'll start over with you and, and your wife Zipporah, and we'll go from there. And Moses said, no, God, you can't do that. If you do that, your name will be diminished, and so on and so forth. And, and it's at that point that we find that Moses takes the, the house of God, the tabernacle of the congregation, and he takes it out and he sets it up outside the camp of the Israelites. And it is as if Moses is making a statement. If you want to live for God, you're going to have to get up out of your comfort zone. And you are going to have to journey to the house of God. You must be willing to walk away from that which is familiar. From that which is comfortable. From that which is safe. From that which is sheltered. And you must be willing to walk not physically bodily exposed but with your heart on your sleeves. Walk out from where you are and walk out this great distance, it is a journey to get to where God is, but if you will get to where God is, God will meet you there. The people are standing in their tent doors with rapt attention, watching Moses enter into the house of God. Those who would seek and follow God were forced to make a commitment. Moses went out under the tabernacle himself. Everybody's watching. And as Moses goes in, we find out later that Joshua, his servant, is with him. That the glory of God came down at the door of the tabernacle. It is the same cloud that we read 
throughout the book of Exodus that the Bible tells us that every time God wanted the children of Israel to move, a cloud would descend and they would follow the cloud. During the daytime, it was a pillar of cloud. During the nighttime, it would be a pillar of fire. But it was to guide them, to lead them, to show them the way. And so whenever we study scripture, when we're reading scripture and we're studying and we're trying to figure out what it means, we first have to look at the context that it was written in. What does it mean for that day? It means at that day that God provided a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them. He did not send them out into the wilderness and say, you just go figure it out on your own. The fact of the matter is it was about a 14-day journey from the Red Sea into the Promised Land and it took them 40 years because they couldn't get past Egypt and they couldn't get past their own identities and they couldn't get past the way that they looked at themselves in their own eyes. But God said, I've put a plan into action that I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I know I'm calling you out of your comfort zone, but trust me when I tell you that I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. And so he was proving that to Israel then. But what does that mean for us? That means for us that we can trust the leading of the Spirit of God even when we're walking through a wilderness, even when we feel isolated, even when we feel like we're walking by ourselves. We can trust the cloud. When the people saw the glory of the Lord descend, everybody got up in their tent door. Everybody started worshiping. Moses was worshiping God there, but it did something in the congregation when they saw the man of God touching God on his own. Let me tell you the atmosphere of our services. You wonder why I push. You wonder why I tell you to push beyond your flesh. I'm calling you out of the tent door. I'm calling you out of your comfort zone. I'm saying I want you to come see what I can see. I want you to feel what I feel, but you gotta get out of your comfort zone if you want to get there. The atmosphere of our services should be such that people could not help but to worship God. They cannot help but experience Pentecost. The Lord spake to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Let me tell you something, young person. If your mom and your dad doesn't want it, that does not mean you have to leave the church. You're not living for God for man. You're not living for God for woman. You're not living for God for mom. And you're not living for God for dad. you got to get it down into your spirit. I'm going to live for God for God. I'm going to live for God because I want to live for God. I want to get into the atmosphere where the cloud is at. The pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire were significant even to us today. Yes, they had significance then, but they were type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. 
of the Spirit of God that would dwell, the Spirit of God that would descend, the Spirit of God that would fall at Pentecost. It came in like a mighty rushing wind, but it sat upon each of them, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. There appeared unto them pillars of fire. There appeared unto them a physical visible representation to tell those Jews this is what followed you this is what led you find it interesting that the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire were with them and yet there was also the rock from which they drank and that rock was Christ When Moses got into the presence of God, he was able to experience God face to face. I tell you tonight, God is not so far removed from man that you cannot experience him. It is more than goosebumps and odd feelings. It is the God of all glory wanting to participate in your life. It is the God of all glory wanting to reconcile the relationship of face to face. As God talked to Moses, God wants to talk to you. And God wants to talk to me like a man talks to his friend. That's the epitome of relationship with God. Just like it was in the Garden of Eden when God walked with man. Just like it was with Adam and Eve and with Abraham. And said, I want to sit with you. I want to eat with you. I want to walk with you. I want to live. Just like the house of Obed-Edom could not help but be blessed when the presence of God was dwelling in their house. Let me tell you folks that you cannot help but be blessed when the Spirit of God moves into your life. It'll lift you spiritually. It'll lift you economically. It will lift you relationally. Cloud. Presence of God. I want to get there. The pillar of cloud descended upon the tabernacle. It moved upon Moses. That was the Holy Ghost. We find in the Old Testament various kings, prophets, and judges, even the patriarchs, were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost did not dwell within them. It moved upon them. We don't find the infilling of the Spirit until the baptism, or I'm sorry, not the baptism, but the, the birth and, and, and pregnancy of Elizabeth with John the Baptist when the babe starts leaping within her womb. John's filled with the Holy Ghost. But up to that point, the Holy Ghost moved upon, not within. However, the prophets foretold the day when the Holy Spirit would dwell within people of every tribe, people of every language, people of every nation. 
The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. He's prophesying hundreds of years prior to the day of Pentecost, to whom he said, this is the rest. I'm weary. This is the rest. Wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. The prophet Ezekiel in 586 B.C. says in verse uh, 26 and 27 of chapter 36. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That's the power of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It gives me the ability to live for God. It gives me the ability to follow the Word of God. The prophet Joel prophesied it in 800 B.C. in Joel 2 and verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. It's for the men. It's for the women. It's for the young men. The young women is for the boys. It's for the girls. It's for the babies. It's for the toddler. It's for every... I'm afraid we've grown up with a spiritual silver spoon in our mouth where we've lost the awe and the wonder. Do you realize tonight the same God that stepped to the balcony of heaven, the same God that moved upon the face of the waters, that's the spirit that's in you. When he said, let there be light, and there was light, that's the God in you. When he separated light from darkness, that's the God that's in you. The God that opened the windows of heaven. The God that broke up the fountains of the deep, and water came from above, and water bubbled up from beneath. That's the same God that is in you. The same God that made the walls of Jericho fall down. That's the God that's in you. The God who expanded the universe and hung it out, hung out the stars like a curtain. That's the same God that's in you. The same God like you've heard me teach about that's balancing the entire universe as it's on, like it's on a, a razor's edge. That's the God that is in you. The God who's made the universe so great and so large and so huge that astronauts have to use the gravity of the moon to sling themselves back to earth because they don't have the capacity to carry enough rocket fuel. That's how big the universe is. That they have to use God's creation to get back to God's creation. John the Baptist is quoted in all four Gospels. Proclaiming the coming of the Holy Ghost. Luke 3, 16, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Jesus himself made many important statements about the Holy Ghost. Jesus established that all those who believe on him should receive the Holy Ghost. John 7, 
Verses 38 and 39, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let me remind you, they all drank from the same spiritual rock. That rock was Christ. Literally, there was a physical rock that Moses struck that water flowed out of to water millions of people. Millions! At least 2.4 million people. That's bigger than all of Allen County. Out of a rock. That rock was Christ. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit that they which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So again, we see it alluded to a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, and water. The Holy Ghost is not stagnant. It was never, His Spirit is not designed. It's not made up of stagnation. When water gets stagnant, it starts growing mold and, and algae and fungus and pestilence and nastiness. I was way up north this morning. I was on a lake working, not fishing, unfortunately. Half the lake is in Indiana, half of it's in Michigan. That's how far north I was. And the folks where I was at, we were talking about the lake, and they have a nice little... Kind of like a little inlet there. I said, oh man, that sand looks really nice. It looks like you got a, a really nice beach area. And they said, you know what? We do because we've got grandkids and our grandkids get in there. They splash and they swim and, and they keep everything stirred up. But a couple houses down, those folks don't have any grandkids and they don't get in the water. They don't swim. And so their water, uh, there's the bottom of the lake, just, just a few houses down. And when I say a few houses down, I'm talking about the setbacks between property lines is five feet. So, 50 feet down there. Because they don't swim in it, instead of having a nice sandy bottom, it's muck. And when you step in, you sink. They did not add sand to their beach. It is a seawall and the, the bed of the lake. And weeds grow down there. And muck is down there. Because nobody gets in the water. But when you get in the water, it stirs it up enough that weeds don't grow. That the, your footing becomes firm. Let me tell you, when you get into the Spirit and you start stirring, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is within you. When you get in the water, when you get in the Spirit, if you'll just get in, it'll get firm underneath your feet. The weeds have got to go because the weeds only want the stagnant water. They can't survive when it's flowing. God, help me to get the flow. Help me to get the flow right. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. There's a scripture to put in your little arsenal to defend, to apologia. When they quote Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 and say, 
that all of this is nonsense. That it's not salvific. It doesn't pertain to salvation. When they say, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I'm sorry, 15. There you go. 16 and 16. My apologies. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That he, he that believeth not shall be damned. And they'll say, all you have to do is believe. Uh-uh-uh. The forerunner to Christ said, if you believe, you shall receive. Or you should receive. And this spake he of the Holy Ghost. Believing is not enough. We're preaching tonight about a cloud that has not lifted. You see, it was a promise that was fulfilled. Jesus declared the Holy Ghost would bring power to the disciples, power to fulfill their ministry, power to be witnesses of Him to all the world. Acts chapter 1. And verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witness as, witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's part of the apostolic mandate when he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is tying back into that. When you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the power to go everywhere and anywhere and make converts. You see, the book of Acts, which is the history of the original church, has numerous examples of believers being filled with the Holy Ghost. It happened first in Jerusalem. The Holy Ghost was poured out in this city on the day of Pentecost in the year 33 A.D. Those who received the Holy Ghost acted in strange and unusual ways. They heard them speak with other tongues. That's Galatia. They heard them speak in an unknown tongue. Wonderful works of God. The Spirit gave them utterance. They acted strange. They acted unusual, prompting observers to think that the believers were drunk. They didn't realize until Peter started preaching that the cloud had descended. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The comforter whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall be with you and he shall be in you. That's fine. Go ahead, clap. Young people, you've got to get this. You need to understand that this is not just another church on a corner. Young people, you've got to get it. I'm telling you, you've got to get it so down deep in your bones it can't be shaken out of you. It can't be run out of you. Listen, that's another reason why we know that the Bible is true. That's another reason why we know that Scripture is true. Because the apostles who walked and talked and ministered with Jesus, who preached repentance, who preached baptism in Jesus' name, who preached the infilling of the Holy Ghost, when faced with death, would not give it up. They would not recant their story. 
They refused to be spared their physical life because they knew that what they had seen, they knew that what they had heard, they knew that what they experienced was the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth because of God. They understood it to be the fulfillment of everything from the antediluvian age all the way through. What's the antediluvian? We'll get to that. This means pre-flood. Everything had been set. Now, it was more than a visible cloud. It was more than hearsay. No one that was on in the upper room at the day of Pentecost had ever seen the pillar of cloud in the wilderness of Sinai. They had never seen the pillar of fire. They had only ever heard it told over and over and over again. Passed down from generation to generation. Once it was written down on parchment, then they could read it or it could be read to them because not everybody had access to the Bible like you and I have access to. I'm telling you, we've been born with a spiritual silver spoon in our mouth. And we've gotten so comfortable with it that it means nothing. But I'm preaching tonight that we cannot take for granted the cloud that has descended. It descended on the day of Pentecost. I believe just like it did. Or at least in similar fashion. As it did in the holies of holy. That place where the glory of God would come down and it would rest upon the Ark of the Covenant because the blood had been applied to the mercy seat. The priest would walk in carrying the blood of the sacrifice, apply it to the seat called mercy. And the glory of God would come down, inspect the blood, from the sacrifice and the priest could live if the sacrifice was right if the sacrifice was wrong the priest had to die i'm thankful those days are over as i'd be standing out that door and i'd be checking every single one of you everyone hey are you right because if you're not right you go back to that back corner of that parking lot and you get right you get right before you come to the door. But we don't have to do that anymore. Now we can come through the door. We can come to the altar. And we can meet God on our own at the altar. And I believe on that day of Pentecost, after Jesus had been glorified, what happened when he was glorified? Let me tell you what happened. He was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And when he ascended into heaven, he that descended also ascended. And when he presented the fleshly body of his earthly man to the spirit, the spirit descended upon that fleshly body, just like he had all those years prior to elder. And he inspected the blood and he inspected the sacrifice and when the sacrifice was found worthy when the sacrifice was found sinless I'm telling you God doesn't do anything by coincidence when G the day Jesus died the Passover lamb was being sacrificed in the temple the last supper was the Passover supper 
when Jesus was crucified. It wasn't just any ordinary day. It wasn't just any ordinary sacrifice. But the Passover lamb was getting ready to be sacrificed. And that lamb did not have to die because there was another lamb outside the temple on Golgotha's hill. And when the flesh of Jesus Christ of Nazareth was presented in heaven, he said, that is an acceptable sacrifice. That is the only sacrifice that is needed. The Spirit could then descend. Go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You go get in that holy place and you wait. Because I got to get out of here. I have to go present. It's called the glorification of Jesus Christ. I have to go present the sacrifice in the Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house. I believe it happened just like it did in the book of the Kings when Solomon dedicated the house of God. And there was, the Spirit moved in in such a manner that, that it's described as a, a cloud that was so thick that the priests could not stand to minister. Verse Kings 8, verse 10, it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said, He dwell in thick It's not just any ordinary cloud. It's not some low floating cumulus. Some wispy little cirrus blowing through. It's not a thunderhead. It's not an anvil. It's not any of those cloud formations. This is different. This isn't fog. This is God. So thick they couldn't stand. So thick it affected their physical behavior. I'm almost done. Let's jump ahead. Somewhere in the ballpark of 1900 years. It began in Topeka, Kansas, which sparked a revival in America. But from Topeka, Kansas, it would spread to Los Angeles, California, where a young man a young black man who had been seeking, who had been searching all the way from the swamps of Louisiana. His parents were alive during the Emancipation Proclamation of the Civil War, but because they lived and were owned slaves, and lived on a sugar plantation 
Lincoln understood that if we pulled everybody out right now, not only would the economy collapse, but then we would have to house and feed hundreds of thousands of slaves. So they won't be free until the end of the Civil War, and then they'll be free so the economy doesn't collapse, and so they all have a place to live. Unless they want to be enlisted in the Union Army. So William J. Seymour's father, who at the time went by the name Simon Simon, because he couldn't spell, he couldn't read, he couldn't write. When he and his wife got married on the, the marriage license, they both drew an X. They didn't know how to spell their names. His father would march through the swamps with the Union Army. They're contracting a disease. He would come home and at the age of 54, after being denied disability, William J. Seymour, the, the oldest of his siblings, would have to go find work. After his father passed away, shortly thereafter, he made a journey again from the swamps of Louisiana and from a culture of not just physical slavery, but spiritual slavery. Because the Roman Catholic Church had basically overtaken the South, propagated their doctrine, and the slaves with their false doctrine, false, false, I mean, idolatry, which with their voodoo, would take and manipulate Catholicism so the white man thought they were being good Catholics, but they were really still practicing their old religion. So it transformed from voodoo to woodoo. Seriously. And we read stories like Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear. And those are all slave stories. And what they did with the stories was they were creating characters like Br'er Bear and Br'er Fox to make fun, rightfully so, of their fat, white slave owners. And they would position themselves in the story as the rabbit, who you can throw me into the, the briar patch, but I was born and bred in the briar patch. And so they would tell these stories to the, the plantation owner's children while they're working on the farm and while they're cleaning house. And the kids are being entertained by stories that are derogatory towards their parents. No judgment. But they're doing the same thing with their religion. And that's the culture that William J. Seymour comes from. He makes a trip because he needs work. Makes a trip from Louisiana to Indiana which by that time is becoming a stronghold for the Ku Klux Klan. Research it. Indiana's got a strong history. It's not just our city. It's the state. And so he ends up in the city of Indianapolis. And there he is exposed to a wider array of religion. And something sparks in the heart of this young man. He travels from Indianapolis seeking other work down to Cincinnati and Cleveland and 
up to Anderson, Indiana, and everywhere he's being attached to, to spiritual bodies. But because of his background, he also believes in visions. He also believes that God really can speak to me. He had contracted smallpox. He loses the sight in one of his eyes. He's half blind. But he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And he wants to find a place where he can experience what he has read about in the book of Acts. Because he believes it's for everybody. Because he believes in spiritual revelation for the individual, not just uh, someone on a pedestal. And so he begins searching and he begins preaching and he begins proclaiming, hey, I believe we can have what they had on the day of Pentecost. Somebody buys him a bus ticket and he goes out to Los Angeles, California. And there, once they find out what he believes, they say, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. We don't believe that everybody can have their own uh, moment of revelation with God. We don't believe in visions. We don't believe in dreams. We don't believe in miracles and signs and wonders. And we sure don't believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost like the book of Acts. So Seymour starts praying in a little house called the Bonnie Bray House with a small group of people. And we, we're going to get into this more in detail in the future. Church history is important. It, it's come so easy to us. It's come so easy. We, we just kind of walked into this thing and, and we just, you know, we get to come to church in a nice building, but they had a tiny little house. We've been there to the Bonnie Bray house. Remember the piano? During one prayer meeting, Seymour does not have the Holy Ghost, but they're praying, and the Spirit floods the building. It's, it's like a one- or two-bedroom house. It's small. And all of a sudden, across the room, the woman who would become his wife falls out of her chair speaking in tongues two or three more start speaking in tongues Seymour's still praying but he does not have the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden this young woman who would eventually become his wife gets up off the floor and walks over to the piano she has no idea what she's doing she's never played a piano before in her life but she sits down at that piano and she starts playing those keys and she starts worshiping God and she's playing fluently because when you get in the presence of God, word began to spread. And down that little dirt road, all of a sudden, people started flooding the street. And it got to be so crowded that the front porch on that house collapsed. They said, we got to get somewhere bigger. I believe it was three nights or three days after that. Seymour gets the Holy Ghost. They move over to 312 Azusa Street. And they find this warehouse type building. The bottom floor is a stable. They said we found it ironic that Jesus was born in a barn in Bethlehem. They hear the apostolic movement. It doesn't just affect America like it did in Topeka, Kansas. But it, that was the spark. But then it starts going worldwide and people from across the ocean are hearing about what God is doing and they're traveling from countries like Wales to come and to hear and to see and to experience for three and a half years they have service three times a day don't talk to me about our schedule being busy 
They would pray at least five hours a day. Sometimes they would pray all night, Brother Seymour, and a man by the name of Brother Lee. And Brother Lee would get up off the floor from prayer at 6 or 7 a.m. and he would go and he would work all day. And he would come back and he would pray longer. Three and a half years. One young man by the name of Thomas walked into 312 Azusa Street. The Apostolic Mission is what it was called. Mind you, it's 1906. They're being pastored by a one-eyed African-American man. It's less than 40 years or right at 41 years, I'm sorry, after the Civil War. We think it's so far removed. Civil War was 1861 to 1865. 35 years after that was 1900. 41 years after the end of the Civil War, there's a one-eyed black preacher in Los Angeles, California. And all of a sudden, people are coming from Asia. There are Japanese that are coming into service. There are white folks that are coming into service. Hispanic folks coming into service. This young man by the name of Thomas, let me tell you, the church is inclusive. The church is the most inclusive place you will ever find. Racism is not of God. I'm going to speak that again, not to this congregation, but to our city. Racism is not of God. I don't care if they're white. I don't care if they're brown. I don't care if they're black. I don't care if they're mulatto. I don't care if they're yellow. I don't care if they're red, purple, green, or orange. When they walk in, they walk in as children of God. I don't care what language they speak. I don't care if they are a practiced voodooian. I don't care if they've been sitting out in the parking lot practicing voodoo, trying to get this shut down. When they walk in the door, God is able. Let me tell you something. That's a very real possibility in the coming weeks and the coming months. They might walk in witches, but they can walk out apostolic. They might walk in trying to shut it down, but instead they'll get stirred up. Welcome in, brother. Welcome in, sister. No hard feelings. God used that to get you in the house. The presence of God would get so thick in that cattle warehouse that they literally described it as that it appeared like a fog. On this night, this young man, Thomas, testified of seeing it. Some claimed to see it every time they walked in the doors. They'd have three services a day, morning, afternoon, and night, to, to accommodate everyone's work schedule. They said oftentimes those, those services just blended together. There was no definite stopping and starting point. They just started and never stopped well into the night. 
Thomas walked into the building that night and he said it was so ripe with expectation. You could feel it. It was palpable. Something big is going to happen. We've been having good church, but something's getting ready to go cataclysmic. And they got little red cedar planks put out on milk crates. I'm t- it wasn't fancy. It was not fancy. Seymour's pulpit was two shoe crates stacked together. Oftentimes he would sit behind, sit behind the stack with his head in between the crates until the Lord would begin to speak to him and he'd stand up and start preaching. Thomas said that the, the, the ceiling in that old warehouse was so short when he stood up on the pew because he wanted to see what was getting ready to happen. He, he held on to the rafters. He could see it. He could feel it. He said that night, a man stood to testify who was a Mayan Indian. He did not speak English, but he had a friend there who was an interpreter. This Mayan Indian got up and started testifying. And he pointed to a woman who was German. And he said, I heard her speak in my language. She was preaching to me. As he testifies, God fills him with the Holy Ghost. And he runs over to a woman sitting in a wheelchair who was sick with tuberculosis and lays hands on her. And she stands up out of her wheelchair completely healed. And she starts preaching. I'm telling you, it's a cloud that has not lifted. It's a cloud that has not lifted. Thomas said that everyone in the building then began to speak in tongues. Then they began to sing in tongues. He said every dialect was different, but you could tell they were singing the same song. The the notes rose and fell. The rhythm was the same. You could feel it in the spirit. They're singing. The spirit is moving. He said he saw it like a cloud, like a fog cover the floor, a cloud that never lifted. He said you could feel it shift into a deeper way. And Seymour stands up from behind his stack of shoe crates. Walks over to one section of the room. There's a whole group of folks who are impotent. They're sick. Some of them have diseases. Others are crippled. They're all sick. None of them can stand. None of them can walk for various reasons. And as the hush falls over the congregation, Seymour lifts his hands. You want to see God do something fantastic? All of you, within the next few moments, are going to be completely healed. As soon as the words come out of his mouth, Sister Angie, it was not a few moments. It was instantly. And that young man, Thomas, standing there on the bench, he said, I literally heard bones cracking. I heard bones snapping together. And those folks stood up and started dancing and shouting. 
Let me tell you tonight that the cloud that descended at 312 Azusa Street has never lifted. It's just as real in this building as it was in that old warehouse. It was just as real in that old warehouse as it was on the day of Pentecost. It was just as real on the day of Pentecost as it was at Solomon's temple. It was just as real at Solomon's temple as it was at the tabernacle. As it was at the crossing of the Red Sea. But the question is, tonight, as we stand, are we willing to step out of our tent door to journey to the place where the glory has descended? Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone? Are we willing to push back our flesh? Are we willing to push it back with prayer? You, you, you may have wondered why we started the, the prayer log. It's because we want revival. And we cannot have revival and the workings of our flesh simultaneously. Are we willing to push back our flesh in prayer? Are we willing to push back our flesh by fasting? I believe social media fasts are good. In fact, I've already come to the conclusion what good has social media ever provided me? I really can't think of anything, Sister Sherry, other than making me want to compare myself among ourselves. Let me just tell you that revival may not happen in Huntington like it happens elsewhere. The way it's going to happen here is by prayer and fasting. The way it's going to happen here is by consecration. Because when we have prayer and fasting and consecration, when we have revival of that nature, that's the same kind of revival that sprung up from Azusa Street. And 100 years later, in the year 2006, so that's been a minute, they had estimated that 600 million people had been filled with the Holy Ghost directly correlated to Azusa Street. It just a hundred years afterward, that those who were there took the gospel and they went. And then it was passed from generation to generation until you and I are here today as a product of 312 Azusa Street. It's a product of Topeka, Kansas. As a product of Cane Ridge, Kentucky. I just don't know if I believe that. I believe it. 
You've heard me say it before. My dad got the Holy Ghost in a Methodist church because they asked an apostolic Pentecostal evangelist to come preach a revival for them. And he was directly connected to someone who was at the revival of Cane Ridge, Kentucky. So I am here today. We are here today. Because of the spillover. I've asked the question before, how much Jesus do we want? I don't want... There's so much qualifying that I have to do with this statement. I don't want just enough to get me into heaven. Just ask yourself, how much is that? If it's not enough to make me push my flesh out of the way, is it enough? Is it, not, is, is it enough if it doesn't send me out to carry the gospel? Is it enough if I'm not winning souls? Is it enough if I'm not praying beyond my point of comfort? Is it enough if, I'm, if it's not making me fast? If it's enough that... Is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? So, well, Pastor, you're setting the standard pretty high. Is it ever going to be enough? I don't know, but I want to make sure that I'm so far into the Spirit that I don't have to worry about whether it's enough or not. I don't want it to be about is it enough or not. I want it to be about I am progressively getting closer to God every day of my life. What are the qualifications for salvation, Pastor? It's repentance. It's baptism in Jesus' name. It's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words, did Peter preach unto them? we got to live holy. we got to live separated. But we've also got to win souls. I don't know about you, but I want the glory cloud to fall. I want the spirit of this church to be so evident that when they walk in the doors, they throw their needles away. They throw their, their cigarettes on the, on the altar. They throw their booze on the altar. And they say, I'm not taking it home with me. They pull their tobacco out of their pockets and they put it on the altar. They pull their drugs out and they say, flush it. I don't want it. I don't need it. I want it to be so strong that they bring the things out of their home and they say, okay, we're really going to be like the book of Acts and we're going to burn some things. We're not going to sell it because we don't want anybody else to partake of the sin. We're just going to get rid of it. Let me tell you, it's a cloud that has not lifted. God is so ready. He is so, so ready to pour out revival. I want him to be able to use me. How about you? I want him to use me. I want, I want to be in the services where we hear bones snap together. I want to be in the services where the dead are raised. I want to be in the services where we're miracles take place and where salvation is poured out by the dozens and the hundred. I wonder if that's your desire tonight. I wonder tonight if it's your desire to get in the cloud. To pursue the presence of God like you've never pursued it before. I wonder if we wanted enough to go against the cultural norms. Me like you. They went against the cultural norms of 
six. Right.